Snowstorm in a Faraway Land Waking up to 12 inches of snow is generally not a good way to start the day. When you're jet-lagged from three days of travel from Springfield, Illinois to Camp Bonsteel, Kosovo, it's even less appetizing. Camp Bonsteel is the headquarters for the U.S. Army and NATO in Kosovo for their more than two-decade-long peacekeeping operation in the Balkan country. NATO and the U.S. intervened in the bitter fighting between the Orthodox Christian Serbs and the Muslim Kosovars in the late 1990s to stop the first war in Europe since World War II. With more than 13,000 people killed and an estimated 1.2 to maybe 1.4 million people forced from their homes as refugees, the war threatened European peace and stability. <coughs> Excuse me, Tom. <coughs> That's taping in my basement. <coughs> Camp Bonsteel was built in 1999 to house the American and NATO peacekeepers. With the advent of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, Kosovo, like many other peacekeeping assignments, presented a manpower drain for the U.S. Army. So, like the peacekeeping mission between Egypt and Israel in the Sinai Desert, the rotational assignments went from the Army to the Army National Guard. Although there's currently no open conflict in Kosovo, Soldiers assigned there still receive combat pay due to the imminent possibility of an outbreak of violence. Few Americans, other than the families of the National Guardsmen who rotate through Camp Bonsteel every nine months, are even aware that American forces are still on peacekeeping duty there. Fewer still would likely approve of the presence of American soldiers in the tiny Balkan country, nor the cost of maintaining them there. But violence in the Balkans has a long history of spilling over into Europe and creating far larger wars. World War I began in the Balkans when a Serbian nationalist assassinated the Archduke of Austria. As part of this peacekeeping mission, the Illinois Army National Guard deployed a unit of UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters to Camp Ponsteel in 2008. As part of my duties as the commanding general for the LNA Army and Air National Guard, and in combination with other duties in Europe, I traveled to Kosovo in November 2008 to meet with those soldiers. Flying weather in Europe in November can be dicey. After meeting with U.S. Army Europe staff officers and receiving an updated briefing on the situation in Kosovo, I was slated to fly out of Heidelberg, Germany, site of U.S. Army Europe's headquarters, on the four-star general's jet, an Air Force C-21, which is a military version of a Learjet six-passenger executive jet, to Pristina, Kosovo. Then fly a Blackhawk helicopter into Camp Bonsteel. Sweet. Without the four-star's jet, the 90-minute flight would have become a multi-day slog, flying commercial through multiple European airports, as at that time, there was no easy way to get to Kosovo. As my minder from Yusra, that is U.S. Army Europe, my aide and accompanying public affairs NCO prepared aboard the aircraft, the pilot informs me, Sorry, sir, we can't take all of you. We've got 120 knot headwinds, so we can only take three passengers. Otherwise, we don't have enough fuel to get in. Since USRA, U.S. Army Europe, would never trust a National Guard two-star on a mission into Kosovo without a minder, 
the active duty major must go along. So I have to bump either my trusty aide, who just happens to be fluent in Polish, Russian, and Czech, as well as the most accomplished international traveler I've ever met, or the buck sergeant, writer, photographer, who's never been outside the U.S. Knowing that my aide can get through Europe on his own to meet up with us in Camp Bonsteel, I send him on his way to the civilian airport, while the photographer carefully loads her laptop and Nikon on the sleek but small jet. Once in the air, we never noticed the 120-knot headwinds, although I'm sure the pilots watching their fuel gauges did. The photographer kept busy training her Nikon out the window, snapping shots of the Austrian Alps while we traversed Central Europe. As we prepared to land, the pilot's voice crackled over the intercom. Sirs, please snug your seatbelts down and secure all these items. We have a 90-knot crosswind, so the landing will be a little tricky. Tightening my seatbelt, I glance out the porthole. Where's the airport, I wondered. Although we're not more than a few hundred feet above ground, I can't see the runway. Closer and closer, the plane abruptly jerks 90 degrees to the right and bam, touches down to the concrete strip, rolling to a stop. Deplaning, we cross the tarmac into the tiny terminal to await our ride to Bonsteel. A few minutes later, the familiar beat of a Blackhawk's rotors echo across the landing field nestled between the mountains. Grabbing my leather overnight bag, we head out to greet our Illini brethren in the November gray afternoon. Riding long distances, riding long distances in a Blackhawk is fun the first few times, for the first few minutes. But let me caution you: they're always either too hot or too cold. And it rides about as smooth as the back of an F-150 crossing a cornfield after harvest. But having been flying in military aircraft since 1969, I've learned to sleep in them all. Chin resting on my field jacket, I let the jet lag overtake me and nap most of the flight into Bonsteel. After dining with the troops in the mess hall, oh, an important note here. I regularly irritate mess sergeants by calling it a mess hall. The Army now calls it a dining facility, or DFAC for short, but it will forever be known to me as a mess hall. I'm briefed on the following day's proposed activities. Sir, the Poles are really anticipating taking you on patrol tomorrow, so we'll head over to their command post to get briefed on it. Great, let's go, I reply. As part of the NATO peacekeeping forces, Poland and Ukraine provide a joint light infantry battalion. The Illinois National Guard has had a relationship with the Polish military since 1993 as part of the Partnership for Peace, which was set up by the Pentagon and the State Department after the Soviet Union and its alliance, the Warsaw Pact, collapsed. The partnership established relationships between former Eastern Bloc nations and National Guards from several states to bring the former Soviet allies closer to the West and strengthen their democratic values. With that long-standing relationship, the young Polish officers assigned to the battalion were eager to display the unit's prowess. With decades of working with the U.S. military, the briefing followed the format of every military briefing I've ever received, although parts of it were in Ukrainian, which had to be translated. The upshot of it was that the next day, my aide and I would accompany 20 or so Polish and Ukrainian infantrymen in a convoy of a half-dozen vehicles down the twisting hilltop road and over to a local village, where we'd dismount and walk through the village in a display of force, 
intended to show the capacity to intervene in the event of violence. Great plan! I'm looking forward to it. The next morning, I pull on my Army combat uniform, boots, and Cortex field jacket, settle my cap on, and step out the door. Twelve inches of snow on the formerly barren ground greets me. The young officers set to take the general on a patrol are panic-stricken. Much angst and wringing of hands that it's far too dangerous to drive the treacherous roads off the bulldozed hilltops that Camp Bonsteel calls home. Eventually, the young officers determine it's okay to move forward with the patrol. Into the military vehicles we pile. Creeping down the hillside lane, the drivers take care not to slide off the narrow road's steep sides. Passing through tree-lined country roads, the convoy enters a small village. The town, one of the few Christian enclaves left in Kosovo after the mass exodus of Orthodox Christian families. We wheel past a burned-out mosque, then its vandalized cemetery with tombstones toppled over. Retribution is never far from mind in these mountains where the last war is but a continuation of century-old battles. The convoy turns around to head back into the center of town. The vehicles pull over at the edge of the two-block-long commercial district, leaving a small security detachment to guard the vehicles. The dozen-and-a-half soldiers, armed with 5.56-millimeter NATO assault rifles, the infantrymen form up two abreast, with the two Polish and Ukrainian officers in the center of the column, immediately to my left. Okay, that phone interrupted there. Um, Leaving a small security detachment to guard the vehicles, a dozen and a half soldiers, armed with 5.56-millimeter NATO assault rifles, the infantrymen form up two abreast with the two Polish and Ukrainian officers in the center of the column, immediately to my left. The two officers, armed with 9-millimeter pistols. I'm the only soldier in the column not armed. The column slowly moves down the snow-covered street, with the infantrymen on high alert, eyes scanning back and forth, weapons at the ready. You can feel the tension in the air. As we pass a butcher shop, a medium-tall, barrel-chested middle-aged man bursts out of the door and breaks the column's ranks, deliberately bumping into me. The startled infantryman, realizing that he's unarmed, frees in position as I step away from him. The look on his face conveying hatred. He turns, triumphantly smiling that he's shown up the hated NATO occupiers. For the remainder of the three-block walk, the hair on the back of my neck stayed standing. I knew that despite the empty street, behind each white facade stood people aching to pull a trigger, their desire held in check only by the knowledge of an overwhelming response. I've often wondered why that middle-aged man took such a risk to dart into a column of riflemen to deliberately bump into their general. I suspect it was to show his lack of fear, his impunity, his disdain for the peacekeepers stopping the flow of blood. While some Americans may decry our presence in Kosovo as a waste of American tax dollars, there is no doubt in my mind that the day we leave is the day the bloodletting resumes. Ethnic cleansing is not forgiven in a year, nor in a decade, nor in a generation. There will be no swords beaten into plowshares in the Balkans. That combat pay is fully earned in Kosovo. 
the end. Another history lesson for you, Tom. Okay, I only did two. I've, I've got to do some writing here, buddy. <laughs>